Welcome to Inland Sessions, the podcast. I'm your host, Zana Morrow, and today I'm talking with Bobby Metter and Quentin Cameron from No Soap Radio. Yeah, my name is Bobby Metter. I play bass with No Soap Radio. And what is No Soap Radio? Well, it's, not, it's an eclectic group of personalities that get up there and uh, play all the music that we want to hear. I like to call it headbanger jazz because uh, we've got saxophones and we've got double kick pedals. It's it's primarily a dance band. All, mm-hmm. all the music is designed around getting people dancing. Yeah. So You're having a good time. Yeah. Well, my name's Quentin Camera. I play drums. Well, well I also I'm, I do drums and also do the recording. And you just released an album. We did, yes. Ooh, all right. Yep, yep, all self-recorded. Um, the time Quentin joined yeah. is when our last iteration of this band really became what it was. I basically didn't give him a choice. I was like, you're joining the band. Like, we need like, somebody. Yeah. I need you to play drums. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, I'll do that. Uh, and then we, yeah, and then we solidified our two other horn players and then... Once we once we got four saxophone players, it really started to mold the sound of what No Soap was going to be. Um, well, I'm gonna give you props because apparently it was you, Quentin, that finished this whole thing up. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'd like to think of myself as the savior of the band because <laughs> they lost their drummer and there weren't really any options for another one. Uh, but. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I saw these guys at their very first gig, which was a house show at Bobby's place. And, um, no, yeah, I, I was in, in love with it from the get-go. Um, so, yeah, it was very flattering that they asked me. This isn't an ancient band. You guys have only been really playing together maybe the last two years in public? We just had our tooth anniversary gig is what we called it. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so... It started uh, with me. Um, the only other original member is Jeremiah, and then there was um, there was some other people from the Coeur d'Alene area, and we got together and um, <clears throat> just started this jazz funk fusion group. We didn't really know what it was going to be, you know. Um, four people in the original group wrote the first, or I guess five people wrote the first five tunes that were. Uh, that is our EP that's out as well that came out about a year and a half ago. And we've been through a lot of changes since then, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of uncertainty. Um, we have a pretty strong bond as a, as a family now, and, and that's very nice. I mean, I don't think a lot of people can say that about their bands. We just had a No Soap Super Bowl party. I mean, we hang out for everything. We are family, and a lot of us – we're more family than some of our own family is to us. And I, and I think a lot of the members in the band would say that. But we really are a family. Yeah. We're very close. We're and like a little cult. Yeah. <laughs> we always joke about how we're going to start a compound and then we'll all just have houses on that compound. And, you know, honestly, if we had the money to do it, I think we might. Um, you know, just buy the big mansion together. Yeah, exactly. Recording studio in the basement. What more do you need? I would Absolutely. not say no. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so we're, we're very fortunate to have that. I don't, I don't think most people who work together and, and have this collective dream of doing this as a living, you know, get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we, you know, we love each other and, you know, we fight like family too, you know, and, and I think that kind of drives it forward. It, it helps us. And that, I mean, you can really tell in a lot of our music that we go from genre to genre. It, it goes all over the place. We kind of let it go where it goes. And I think that's kind of the magical beauty of it all right is the idea that it is so many ideas all at once in as little of space as possible and i think that's really what makes us what our sound is like experience growing up with music in the household um you know on but when i was really young first album i remember listening to a lot was flood by they might be giants which is it's a very quirky album they're a very quirky band um and i think i didn't I, i didn't get obsessed with it at the time but i think it did end up influencing kind of stuff i like I like quirky. It's an album worth stuff. getting obsessed over, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's it's very curious. I started playing drums when I was 12. I had a friend who had a drum kit, and uh, I just loved playing it. And then Santa got me a, a, a cheap little first act kit, and um, and then I learned how to play drums by just jamming out in the basement uh, to Green Day and OK Go and Radiohead. When I started listening to Radiohead, that was when I started thinking of music as art. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, um, I my mom forced me to join band in middle school, which I didn't want to do because I, I didn't want to be a band nerd. But uh, it ended up being such a good thing 
because I learned how to read music, which is just so incredibly useful. And uh, so, yeah, I did, I did marching band, concert band, jazz band through middle school and high school. And that gave me the language to communicate with these guys because they all went to Lionel Hampton uh, School of Music mm. at U of I. That's, yeah, Lionel Hampton has also had a big influence on the band in general. Totally. So I'd like to hear you, Bobby, what was growing up with music for you and your experience? Oh, well, some of my earliest memories, I remember my mom got this like this little, I don't know if it was like a carousel necessarily. It was like a, a bunch of train cars and it had all these different characters like Mickey Mouse and, and uh, Donald Duck. And they would come out and they would sing Christmas songs very annoyingly. Um, and some of my earliest memories are sitting at that thing and staring at it in trans for like hours. And I look back at that, I'm like, man, the first album I ever owned was the Forrest Gump soundtrack. And I would listen to that on repeat. You know, there's CCR on there. I mean, mm-hmm. a ton of Some awesome, Jim Croce. Yeah, a ton of awesome music. And my grandparents were really obsessed with music. And my grandpa always had music on. And uh, I spent almost all my weekends with them. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of uh, early childhood listening to the 60s. I mean, there was some pop in there, too. And I went through my classic, like, Backstreet Boys phase. It's just like any other millennial did at the time. Um, <laughs> I started playing guitar at about 12, and that's when I became infatuated with metal. That's when I, I took, like, a deep dive off into System of a Down, Metallica. Um, my first experience with a guitar ever, uh, I went to one of my buddies' house, and his dad had this big Marshall half stack. And he was like, little Bobby Rocker, and like put me up in this with this guitar. And I'm like hitting these crappy power chords mm-hmm. with too much distortion on. Uh, yeah, and it, you know, it just every single one of those steps sticks out in my memory, you know, and how my musical taste has evolved. And as I learned to read music, I, I kind of went into more progressive and jazz and, and kind of shifted. But metal is where my roots will always be, and it's very evident in how I write. Um, there's a lot of metal in my music. Well, I mean, personally, as someone who who is also like a multi-genre person, I listen to everything. The connections uh, with metal to both classical and jazz are so distinct when you really get into the genre. And it always makes me giggle with people who really don't know anything about metal but are very sure that it has nothing to do with music. Yeah, no, totally. Well, and there's so many people, even like if you look at the Baroque era, like Bach, right? So many people... We'll say that, like, uh, well, if you're a metalhead and you're studying classical music, we'll say that Bach is just metal without distortion. Because, I mean, it really, I mean, obviously metal is Bach with distortion if you really want to look at it. But there's a lot of things that can be said about metal that that drew inspiration from classical. Mm. Well, I would like to ask you, Quentin, so you started playing the drums at 12. When did you discover music was your language and you were able to express yourself through this language and that it was meaningful to you and you could talk to other yeah. people through it yeah uh, around 15 around age 15 because um, that was when I I, st- I started learning how to play guitar and piano too and then I started writing and I started recording and um, and yeah uh, that was that was 15 was also when I started getting into Radiohead so um, and it, yeah it's just uh, it's just always been my favorite hobby so um yeah it's it's something to do was there ever a thought of not going into music yeah i've considered other things um uh, my mom's a nurse i considered going into the uh medical fields um 
I've had a bunch of odd jobs, some construction, some blasting, where I got to play with dynamite, um, uh, like at construction sites. Uh, and but yeah, no, I always, I always end up coming back to music and recording. Those are those are my favorite things. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'll try not to draw any correlation between um, you liking dynamite and being a drummer. Yeah, well, it's exciting, it, it's, and it's loud. It makes you feel alive. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what about you, Bobby? When did you go from music just being kind of a pastime to it being a language for you? Yeah, probably when I was about 19. I mean, I played since I was 13. I learned about every riff there was to learn from Metallica at that point. Um, and, uh, yeah, when I... When I started at the School of Music at U of I, that's when I was like, oh, no, this is definitely what I want to do. Um, and I didn't know what that meant and what capacity. I had no idea that in, you know, less than a decade or maybe a decade later, I'd be in some funk fusion band in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, you know, and then, you know, with all these dreams of moving to a bigger city and, and doing this for a living. Uh, but I knew that music needed to be involved. I knew that I liked being an educator at that time. Um, I've always enjoyed teaching others. That's been, just been a part of my personality as long as I can remember. Um, so, and that's, yeah, that's when I was like, I'm going to teach music and I'm going to play music. And I don't know what capacity that means, but I'm going to do those two things. And that's all I'm going to do to make a living. So, Can you tell me about the importance of band at school in helping you kind of live your life? One of the interesting things I think about band is that a lot of the times, the first time I would hear, we'd be given a piece of music that we're going to work on. The first time I would hear it, I just didn't, I didn't like it because there's silly little like Sousa marches and and some of the jazz tunes that we played. I just, I just genuinely was, uh, I didn't like the song the first time. But then you play it uh, like uh, fifty times, and then you end up loving it. And there have been a, a lot of other types of music where I um, I start off listening to it, not because I like it, but just because I'm like, why would someone spend their time making this? And, and, it, and then it turns out it ends up being some of my favorite music. And so, yeah, learning that's that's learning that is interesting. And then also it gives you I mean, being able to read music is so useful because you can just quickly and easily uh, communicate how to play things and then having musical language like crescendo to get louder, retard to slow down, uh, all that stuff.
when we hang out, most a lot of conversations is uh, nerding out about music theory, and uh, you know, going from you know, lots of conversations about Phrygian and uh, <laughs> so and lay and fee and it sounds like code, honestly, if you don't. But yeah, it's all jargon. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's it's fun. I actually did not take school band at all. I didn't, yeah, like I was saying earlier, I, I actually did not have any, like, musical knowledge as far as reading until I was about 19. But what I did have in its place is I hung out with all the metalheads in town, and we all formed a million different bands that played at the park on the weekends. And so uh, a lot of the skills that I acquired during that time are what are called soft skills, right? It's just playing with others, learning to list aspects like that. You know, I, I wouldn't trade the education I got, uh, for a minute because I you know I, I did get to learn and still play with others it was just in a different light however I would say this take band if you want to do this don't don't make yourself miserable at 19 and feel like you have to catch up um, and, and not that it's impossible and if you're surrounded by music and you're working on things sure but I mean stressing the importance of actually being in band and, and learning the skills that it takes to to read and, and to play uh, in a large ensemble where, you know, it takes everybody to make this one sound. I mean, the, the, there's not really a better place to do it. And waiting till college if you want to do it for a living is doable, but not suggested. <laughs> when we, yeah, sometimes I listen to the, the bands and they're, and they're playing like a, a march or something. And it's, yeah, when all those instruments get together and they combine their sound, it's, it's, uh, it's, powerful and um and it makes me go man these band nerds are freaking rock stars it's it's sick yeah i'd kind of like to hear about when you started writing your own music and performing your own music and what that bridge was that got you there and what that experience was was it easy for you or did it take a little coaxing i mean in middle school i i hated going up in front of an audience but you sort of you uh, get a little desensitized to that over time. And um, my first band was in high school. We just, uh, we made pop music and yeah, again, it was just friends wanting to get together and have fun. And we did a, we did a few shows, mostly covers, but yeah, actually for me, all the times I've joined bands is when my friends have roped me into it because that band I'm mentioning now I wasn't a founding member of that either I replaced someone same as No Soap <laughs> now that I think about it it's funny yeah yeah everyone calls you though eventually well <laughs> uh, you know for anybody out there feel free to call me I, I, I wouldn't say no to more calls <laughs> yeah what about you Bobby um, I've been writing about as long as I've had a guitar um that doesn't mean it was good, <laughs> but by any means. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's good yet. Uh, but, it was natural but, for you. But yeah, it, it was something that I always wanted to do. If I wasn't, if I wasn't playing a riff from someone else, I was writing something. And and I remember I I felt like I was more obsessed with writing than in than even you know most of the people that I hung out with. They're always like, oh, I learned this new Mudvayne tune, or I learned this system of a down tune. I'm like, okay, well here's this riff I wrote. Like, and and and. I remember the first time that I found out you could harmonize in thirds and then all of a sudden like two guitars could be making this awesome riff at the same time or harmonizing octaves and like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so I've been writing since a really young age, um, probably 13 or so. Um, and, uh, 
I always wanted to write. Um, I didn't write a ton when I first got to school because there was a lot for me to learn before I could really notate things and say, hey, play this to other musicians. Um, uh, and then, I, yeah, I, I took a bunch of composition courses on the side because I, I just loved writing so much. I didn't know that it was something that I wanted to be doing regularly. Um, but it just, yeah, it just kind of happened that way. And now with No Soap, obviously, every – I mean, we have covers and things that we do, but – 95 percent 98 percent of our music is all written and so um yeah it's a huge creative outlet for me and is the writing done kind of uh full as a group do people bring in their stuff as individuals and it's someone's song how does the songwriting process happen within no soap radio yeah so it's a little bit of both but it mostly always starts with one person writing a tune start to finish then they bring that in they test out ideas. Oh, I didn't like that. Oh, I did like that. Get creative input from the band itself. Um, but a, a big uh, thing is usually whatever the composer says goes, right? And so um, it's very, very infrequent that whatever the composer says is the wrong choice, right? Um, everyone's very talented at writing in this group. Um, and that's you know part of what gives us our, our eclectic sound is the fact that we have five or six different people writing at any given time. Um but yeah, it usually starts out, you write it yourself, you do all the horn orchestration, you do all, you know, everything, start to finish uh, a drum part. It might not be the best. Quinton might have to make his own anyway, because none of us can mm. write for drums anyway. Um, but uh, then you bring it in, and yeah, and it's like, you know, an experimental group. You bring it in, you have them read it down, then you figure out what you hated and what you didn't, or what you did like and what you didn't like, and then uh, go back to the drawing board, maybe change a few things. Um I'm a pretty big believer of once I'm done with the piece, I've said what I've said, unless there's some kind of disaster with how I wrote the piece or it just simply will not work. I just leave it as is. And then I learn from that mistake. And then I let the next work that I do kind of do the speaking. But we all have very different writing styles. And, and uh, I think that makes makes our sound the way it is. Is No Soap Radio your only band for both of you? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. Me and Bobby are also in Bourbon Roulette, and um, with Dante D'Angelo, um, who's a really good singer, and he he also plays guitar and he plays sax. So you both had a lot of support. Were your parents, as you really started to get hooked in, did they warn you against it? Um, no, my my parents were supportive. They yeah, they were they were happy to see me doing something I like to do. Um, they're not all whispering about a B plan in your head. No, uh, well, there might have been talks about that when I was younger, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, they're yeah, they're supportive, yeah, for sure. Mine were 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 pretty supportive. Um, I wasn't planning on going to school for music or to really pursue it as a career beyond high school until about two years into uh, my undergrad, anyway. So. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they were always very supportive. They got my first guitar, um, and uh, yeah, they were just extremely supportive as far as that goes. And my mom was a musician, too. So was my grandfather. I mean, so many people in my family were musicians. I don't think anyone knew I was going to try and do that for a living, 
mm-hmm. until later. So by that time, I was an adult and I can make my own decisions. So, Bobby, how did that change for you where you decided that you did want to stay in school and you wanted to focus on music? How did that decision happen for you? Yeah, it was, it was very strange, actually. So I... <laughs> I thought that I was going to be a cheer coach my entire, uh, I, that's all I did through high school. And when I got to college, that's what I got to, I got a scholarship and then I was in charge of the cheer team and then I started coaching the cheer team and it was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, yeah, I took a history of rock and roll class and I was like, oh, maybe I'll minor in music. I know how to play guitar a little bit. Um, and the guy taught me how to read music. Uh, when I was about 19 or so, and then he auditioned for me, uh, auditioned me into the program, and then I just didn't look back. I was like, you know, this is what I want to do instead. Like, these people speak my language. I mean, I really did enjoy being a part of the cheer world, but the people in the music world, I, I just felt like I, I related with all of them a lot more, um, and I really, I, I yeah, I just I loved playing music and the bonds and the friendships that it formed with people, so I just ran with it. Well, I should say, like, at first, I was surprised to think that you had started in cheer, but having seen some no soap shows, the athleticism and the, uh-huh. um, you know, the vivacity is is right there. Is that you're doing? Uh, no, I I think that kind of comes from from the energy itself on stage. I I, I don't really I, I don't know. I would I would say sure, uh, not being afraid to move around and look a little silly for myself probably came from that. I got all the confidence in the world from being a cheerleader for 14 years. Absolutely. Um, But as far as, all right, guys, this is what we used to do on the cheer team. So now we're going to put some of this into our practice regimen. Like, no, there's (laughs) literally none, none uh, carryover as far as that goes. But I do love the huge smile on your face (laughs) as you think about it. Yeah, it's it's, it's something to be, it's food for thought for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I think that comes from marching band too. They, they all did marching band, and you're, you know, you're waving your sax around when you do that. and Yeah, yeah well, so I mean, like, and yeah, the marching exactly. band is insane. They're always the craziest fans at the games, and then the next people down would be the cheerleaders, and then when they all form a prog fusion band together, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the result you're going to get. And then no get, soap right? radio happens. Yeah, and then no yeah. soap radio happens, yeah. Um, it was inevitable. Yeah, and, and we hope to get better at that portion, too. You know, um, one of the big things that, that will help sell what we do in the future, I think, is really to own the craft of – of working that crowd. Um, we're awkward band nerds. We need to figure out how to utilize that and use that to our, to our advantage. Well, is there anything that you wish had come up but didn't? You can always tell people where to find your music in a worst case scenario. Yeah, Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. No Soap, comma, radio. That's the easiest way to find us. We have some stuff on YouTube for all you weirdos that use YouTube music too. So, shout out Red Books, shout out uh, Ben Vogel, shout out Dante D'Angelo, uh, shout out shout out Max Mendez, prof, uh, former professor at NIC. Uh, sh- uh, let's see, shout out James Phillips, my CHS uh, band teacher, um, and nobody else. That's good. And nobody else. Done. (laughs) Shout out Tom York. (laughs) Shout out to you, Zana, for having us here. We appreciate it. shucks. Would you do me one last favor? Yeah. Which is, um, you don't have to explain No Soap Radio, but could you deliver the joke? Yeah. So the joke goes, there are two polar bears in a bathtub. One says the other, hey, man, could you pass the soap? And the other one says, No Soap Radio.
I can't say thanks enough. So I'm just going to say it again. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah. You have been listening to a KSPS production recorded in Spokane, Washington. For more information about Inland Sessions, to watch back episodes, or if you'd like to learn how your support of KSPS, PBS, and public television turns into more great programming that explores local arts and culture while promoting civic health and lifelong learning, please visit ksps.org. Thank you.